which is a sermon itself. And, and I'll probably steal that someday, Jared, because that's just a great, great message there. Uh, Lori and I have three kids. They're in Columbus, Ohio, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Rochester, New York. They're all married. And most importantly, we have seven grandkids. And the, the last one was just born this past Wednesday. Yeah, so we are thrilled. We obviously haven't met her yet, but Lori's going to be tooling out there at the end of the month, and I'll go out there and over Memorial Day and, and get to meet this little gal named Maggie. And we're very thankful that uh, this God's blessed us with uh, kids that love Jesus. They've married believers, and now they're raising their little ones to, to come up in the church and follow Jesus too. So whatever else we've been able to do in ministry, we're most thankful that, that God, by his grace, is... Uh, has allowed us to have a family that, that follows Jesus right now. And, and yet, this morning, I, I, I don't want to talk just about a family individually. I want to talk about our family together as Christ, our family as Christians in Jesus. Because as we understand that, that God gives us the opportunity to know him and follow him and then connect with each other, frankly, there's, there's a spiritual bond that, that is really greater for us as brothers and sisters in Christ and and those of us that know and follow Jesus, even than we have in family. I mean, Jesus is actually the one who said, I mean, un unless you hate your father and mother and your brothers and sisters, you can't be my disciples. And he, he wasn't saying that, that we have to be antagonistically angry at them. He was just saying that compared to our love for him, um, the other loves that we have in this world pale in comparison with that. And so he has to be number one in our lives. He has to be first. And it's that kind of relationship that gives us the opportunity then than to love each other and, and to serve him. I'd like you to take your Bibles with me, if you would, and turn to the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 11, because we're going to talk about really who we are and what we're to do as followers of Jesus. We're actually going to just camp here for a little bit, and then we're going to look at another book later on in the New Testament. But, but in Acts chapter 11, we find out that there was a church that followed Jesus in a town called Antioch. After the persecution of people in Jerusalem, it says those who had been scattered in verse 19 of chapter 11 of Acts in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch. They began to speak to Greeks, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, interestingly enough, as that message was in Antioch, even before the apostles were there, it says, Then Barnabas, in verse 25, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Remember who he was? He was the Jewish guy that, that killed Christians. It says, And when they found him, they brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And this is a cool phrase that you've probably heard before. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They were the ones in this place in Antioch, which is kind of in, in, in Turkey right now, in a very troubled part of the world. I mean, picture ISIS, picture difficulty, picture all the horrible things that are taking place in, in that part of the world. People were first called followers of Christ in this place called Antioch. It's a great place because the gospel brought people to faith. There was a man there named Saul who, went to, who came and he was discipled there. And somewhere in the process... There was a kid named Titus that came to faith in Jesus. Matter of fact, we could look at a couple different passages. We're not going to look at that. But, but in Galatians 2, it tells us this kid Titus trusted Christ in Antioch. It tells us that he has attended what was called the Jerusalem Council, um, that we find out that Paul used him for an object lesson of how 
Gentiles can come to faith in Christ. It didn't just have to be Jewish and go through those rules and regulations. But, but eventually, from this mission field in Antioch, Paul set out with Titus and Timothy and other people to travel all over the ancient world and to tell them more about Jesus. Now, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Titus. It's, it's close to the end of the New Testament, and that's where we're really going to spend our time this morning. Because in about, um, I suppose, 63, 64 AD, Paul established a group of believers in an area called Crete with this guy named Titus. He'd been traveling with Timothy. He left in a place called Ephesus. And then they go on to this little island nation outside of Greece called Crete. And Paul decides that instead of taking Titus with him, he's going to leave him there. Because as the church began, they needed a leader. They needed somebody that would care for them and somebody that would guide them. And and it says this in verse 5 of the book of Titus, chapter 1. The reason I left you in Crete was so that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. Now, back in the original language of the, of the New Testament in Greek, the idea of straightening out is the word orthoo, which is where we get the word orthodontics. You know, anybody been to an orthodontist, gotten your teeth straightened, anybody paid to have their kids teeth straightened? Lori and I had to do with a couple of our kids for that. Um, or if you've been to an orthopedic surgeon, they straighten out a bone that is broken, Right? And so Paul's telling Titus, he said, you know what, we started this church, we, we came from Antioch, we came to a place where we grew in our faith, now we've started a new church, and, and you know what, the work's never done because there's always something else to straighten out. There's always another job to do. There's always something that isn't quite finished because none of us have arrived in our faith, have we? I mean, my next perfect day is going to be my first perfect day, and my guess is yours is like that too. And Lori and I have yet to meet perfect pastors and perfect churches and perfect people. We are not. We know that we still have so much to learn from and grow from in our faith. And, and we know the churches need that too. And as some churches are small and trying to reach their communities and other churches are large and trying to reach their communities, there's always something to do to help them. And that's one of the privileges that we have is being able to come alongside pastors and churches and and help them do what God's called them to do in certain areas and communities. Now, in this passage, what Paul is going to tell Titus is there's a few things that he was supposed to do to kind of help straighten out what was left unfinished and and to continue to do that. And it's really cool because as, as, as a guy who works across a region, I get the opportunity to do the same kind of things. Lori and I come alongside pastors and churches, and, and we don't tell them help them fulfill what God's called them to do. And so as you look at this passage, you can kind of find out who we are because we're doing the same kind of things that Paul told Titus he was to do. And yet what we're going to find out is that all of us have one main job to do. Paul says this, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. Now, in the Bible, the word elder is used for leader pastor, it's used for somebody who, who pastors a church, somebody who leads a church. Some churches apply that in a lot of different ways. And they have the elder who is the pastor, or they have a pastor and elders, and you know, church governments do different things that way because the New Testament gives us the function and it lets us choose the form of how leadership takes place. But bottom line is, every church needs godly people leading it, right? 
They need godly people who are seeking the Lord's face and looking for God's will and finding the direction God wants a church to go. And, and as you have a godly pastor and other godly leaders in the church, you need to realize that God has put in place so they will guide you and they will guide this church and they will be the ones responsible ultimately when they stand before God someday, when he's going to judge them and he's going to reward them and he's going to give them the opportunity to be able to talk about the faithfulness that he had in each of their lives. Now, we also know that churches looked a little different in the first century than they do today, right? I mean, they didn't all meet in, in white buildings with steeples on top, and they didn't have stained glass, and they didn't have cool candles like the Lutherans have. But they, they met usually in homes or, or little marketplace areas or, or in just some different parts of the town, and, and, and they, were just, they were groups of Christians that gathered together. I mean, they were believers in Jesus, but they were under the authority of biblically qualified leaders, and they met together to worship the Father and to study the, the Lord's teaching and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they observed the ordinances of, of the Lord's Supper and baptism, and, and yet they had that job to do is to share the love of Christ in the world that they lived. I mean, that was the message of the church. That's still the mission of the church is to go from wherever we are to continue to share the good news of Jesus with neighbors, friends, with relatives, with, with co-workers, with people that drive us crazy, that, that people that, that need Jesus, that are separated from him because of their sin. And, and that was what was taking place in this little island nation of Crete. Because as Titus was charged to oversee all of these churches, if there were churches in, in half of the towns in Crete, there could have been 50, 60 different little groups of Christians that met all over this place. And so he was making sure that their leaders were healthy, that, that they were godly, good, mature people. Not perfect people, but good, mature, godly people who were leading them to accomplish what God called them to do. And again, that's one of the cool things that, that God's called Lori and me to do. Um, we met in the back of an English class when we were in college. And I felt like I was called to ministry when I was in 10th grade. I mean, it was, it was really early in my life. And, and, and it didn't take us long after we realized that, that God was leading us together to know that he was calling us to do ministry together. And we figured that would always be in a local church. I mean, we loved working at, at Walnut Hill Community Church in Connecticut. We, we spent 25 years in this church called the Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio. Um, we raised our kids there. We had a wonderful time there. And yet... About four years ago, um, a group of people contacted us and said, would you come back to the Northeast and, and work with us? And it was kind of a cool privilege. It, at first, it was something we really weren't sure we wanted to do because we liked our church, and we liked our community, and we liked the people that we were at. But, but all of a sudden, we realized we have the opportunity to encourage dozens, if not hundreds, of different pastors and leaders in churches. We have the opportunity to meet people all over the Northeast and see how God is working and, and even though, again, we were kind of reticent to take this job, it wasn't something we ever really had planned to do, God just kind of opened up our hearts to say, this is the next phase of ministry for you. And it's awesome because we go down to our Haitian churches down in Brooklyn and Long Island, and we go up to little tiny churches in the top of Maine, and we have a Chinese church, we have a Brazilian church, we have a Japanese church, we have a couple African-American churches, we have 14 Haitian churches, and then we have all these other churches that are, are just like you guys, a really diverse, neat group of people that meet together all under the authority of Jesus Christ, under the authority of God's word, 
because we believe that God has called us out of this world to serve him and to follow him. And we have the opportunity even today to realize that God has put leaders in this church and God has put leaders among you so you can even more effectively learn how to reach Naugatuck in this area for Jesus. Now, you see, in this passage, there's some interesting um, attributes, I guess, of, of who these leaders are to be. It says in verse 6, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, a man whose children believe are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, um, which is a big job for pastors who have kids, by the way. It says, since an overseer is entrusted with God's word, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Because you don't want a pastor and you don't want leaders that are just going to give you your, their opinions or or parrot back to you the things that you think that they want you to hear. It says, no, he must hold firmly to that trustworthy message as it has been taught so he can encourage others by sound doctrine. We're going to stop right there. Because after Paul tells Titus that he is supposed to make sure that there are godly leaders in the church, he talks about the fact that they should be able to teach sound doctrine. And as he gets to chapter 2, he says the same thing again. He says, you must be able to teach what is in accord sound doctrine. It kind of sounds fancy. It kind of sounds old-fashioned. But but let me tell you this. That phrase in in the New Testament Greek simply means healthy teaching. It means Jesus' words. It means the good things that God has for us through the power of his word so we can live our lives and be obedient to him and follow him and, and, and do everything that God has empowered and entrusted for us to do in life. I mean, as we learn God's word, as we study God's word, as we teach God's word, and as we are in God's word, as we meditate on God's word, as we have time of personal devotion in God's word and corporate teaching in God's word, God continues to remind us that our lives aren't our own, that we are bought with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ, and because of that, we have the opportunity and we have the responsibility to live out our lives in obedience to him. We do what Jesus said. We continue to strive to do what Jesus said. And we know that, that sometimes that can be a little difficult in our lives, can it? Especially when we hear so many different voices in the world. Now, according to statistics right now, about 88% of American households still own a Bible, which is kind of surprising to me. You know, whether it's a, a written copy of God's Word or people have Bibles on their iPads and their iPhones and, and their, their Android phones and all kinds of things. 88% of people own a Bible. 82% of Americans consider themselves literate in the Bible, but guess what? Only about 43% of Americans can name the first five books of the Bible. Kind of interesting, isn't it? That we go from people that have this as a possession, that people that, that make a claim to say that they believe it, but they don't know much about it. And, and I want to encourage you this morning, because as soon as I heard Pastor Jarrett say, you know, take your Bibles and turn to this passage. I thought, this is a good place. I mean, this is a place not just where people have opinion that they're going to share with each other, not even where we just, you know, flash the words up on the screen by itself, but, but he assumed that you had a copy of God's Word with you, and you'd open that, and you'd look at that. And I'm going to tell you that that is an incredible blessing, and it's an incredible opportunity, and it's an incredible responsibility to make sure that as I work with pastors— to assure that they're godly, good leaders, I want to make sure that they are teaching God's word. 
because no matter what other things are taking place in our world, the opportunity for us to teach God's word and learn God's word, but then to live God's word is what's going to make a difference in the world around us. Now, the cool part about this passage, too, is that a lot of this is done through relationship. Because you look down in chapter 2, it says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. I'm probably one of the oldest guys, probably the oldest guy here today. You know, and so this is this is me. I mean, I'm supposed to be somebody who who is to be um, not just you know crazy back and forth, but temperate. Somebody that's worthy of respect, self-controlled. I'm supposed to have my faith in order, and I'm supposed to be a loving person and and continue to do the right thing. But it also says, if there's any older women in here, that they're to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And this is where it gets cool. It says. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure. Down in verse 6, it says, Similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them as an example by doing what is good. And the idea is that we don't just learn by ourselves, and we don't just learn intellectual truth, but we're to be involved in each other's lives in relationship so people see Jesus' love and see Jesus' life lived out through us. Now, This is a good Mother's Day message because even if we have not had a mother who knew Jesus and followed Jesus, even if we didn't have a perfect mother, which again, I would probably tell you that none of us had perfect mothers or do have perfect mothers, we need to realize that the spiritual relationship that men and men have with each other and women and women have with each other and and we have together the body of Christ unites us together as a family where I believe that you can have a close, crazy, wonderful relationship with, with a young guy that you're discipling or, or a younger woman that you're coming alongside with and teaching how to follow Jesus and teaching God's word. And I can tell you that's been true in our lives because I grew up in a place and a time where I could hardly even imagine leaving home as a kid. And, and God took me from a little town in western Pennsylvania to Chicago, and then we've lived around the country in different places. And, and the cool thing about that is I've made friends that are closer than brothers, and I've made friends that that are closer than family members that I have. Lori's found the same thing in her life. As a matter of fact, she was sitting in our church in Ohio one day, and she saw a couple of gals that that weren't going to our Sunday school because we didn't really offer anything for them, and she said, why don't you meet with me in Brent's office, and we'll just study the Bible together. So she started to meet with these couple of gals, and they said, well, can we invite some friends along with us? And she said, yeah, sure, go ahead and do that, and then they said, can we invite our boyfriends to come and be part of this class? And Lori said, yeah, I guess so. It's not really an official class, so come along. And they started to invite friends, and that group of two, actually three with Lori, grew into a group of about 100 people that started meeting on Sunday mornings because they were just studying the Bible together, and they were learning how to live out their faith. And and that discipleship relationship that she had as an older woman with these younger women uh, has still been incredible, solid, deep friendships that she has with them today. I mean, see, it's just so cool whenever we follow the commands of Jesus to realize that, that we can love each other and serve each other and care for each other and realize that, that God has opportunity as long as we emphasize the gospel. Look at verse 11. It says, For the grace... Of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age 
while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think it was Mike downstairs today that prayed something about uh, the Lord's coming, or, or, or maybe it was Keith, that how we just wait for God's arrival of, of returning a second time. And, and we know that he's coming back because the Bible says that he is. We just don't know when. We don't know what we'll have to go through in the process of waiting for that. But, but the good news of who Jesus is, is that he is God come from heaven. He took on our sins upon himself. He died in our place in the cross of Calvary. And, and because he paid that penalty for our sins, he gives eternal life as a free gift. He offers that. We just have to accept that. We have to believe that. We have to receive that truth and, and trust in who he is and what he's done for us. And, and when that kind of understanding is connected with solid relationships that love each other and care for each other and work together to learn how we're supposed to live in this world, then, then God uses that in some amazing, incredible ways. That's what happened in our church in Ohio because our church was pretty happy with itself when we got there. I mean, there were nice people that cared for each other and they did little tours with old folks together and you know they had a Sunday school with kids in it, but, but we realized that we weren't really reaching out in the community the way that we could. And God kind of peeled back some of the layers of, of, of who we were at that time and the things that we did. And he said, you know, if you're not here to introduce my son to the people in this community, then why are you really here? Our job was to introduce Jesus to people that we worked with, that we lived by, that were our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, even the relatives that drove us crazy. And, and somehow, as God gave us as leaders that vision, the church started to catch that. And we started to learn how we could discern who those relationships were and we could deepen them to a place where we could open our mouths and talk about Jesus whenever you know, people were asking questions about why we lived the way we lived and why we did the things that we did. And, and we saw a ton of people come to faith in Jesus just because we got serious about leading in the way that God called us to lead and teaching the things that God taught us to teach. And then... As chapter 3 says, the heading in my chapter says, doing what is good, for it says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, to show true humility to all men. And there's just kind of a conglomeration of things here in chapter 3 where Paul says to Titus, I want you to continue to set this stuff straight by making sure there's godly leaders in place, by making sure you're teaching God's word, but then you're just reminding people that all of this is so we can live out our lives so people will know who Jesus is. And they'll say, you know, why do you live the way that you live? Why do you live in the neighborhood you live the way you live? And why do you love your wife that way? And why do you raise your kids that way? And why do you go to church on Sundays? And as people start asking questions, we just say, because this is who I am in Christ. This is the faith that I have. This is who I believe he is. This is what I believe he's done. And it says in verse 4, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We start to tell people that we believe Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. We believe that none of us are perfect. We believe that, that all of us are separated from God because of our sin. And, and it's not because of the good things that we've done, but it's because of the goodness of who he is. That he was able to take our sins and he was able to pay that penalty on the cross of Calvary. It would be like if you had cancer in your body and somehow I could take that cancer out of your body and place it in mine and physically die in your place. That's what Jesus did for our sins. 
And we are able to communicate that and tell people that we believe that and it's happened to us. And we know we're going to heaven someday, not because we've been better than somebody else, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, then we have the opportunity to live out our faith and show that to other people and make sure that we're doing the kind of things that make a difference in the world. And that's where I believe we have to proclaim the truth of the gospel. We have to declare it, but we also have to demonstrate it. We have to be able to to show how Jesus has made a difference in our lives and, and how he wants to make a difference in this world. I mean, there's no reason why the Church of Jesus Christ today shouldn't be involved in the communities that God's placed us. To be able to learn what the people in Naugatuck need, how we can serve them, how we can care for them, how the church can reach out to poor people, hungry people, needy people. We don't just do that without telling them about Jesus, but we do that while we're telling them about him. We declare the gospel and we demonstrate the gospel, making sure that people understand that there is a world and there is life beyond just what we experience here. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting more and more thankful for that as we're moving into all this political debate and all the other stuff that's happening, because who knows what tomorrow holds? None of us are guaranteed we'll even be around tomorrow. But we know that as we live our lives for Christ and as we do the kind of things that God's called us to do as a church, and as our leaders are teaching us God's word, and showing us all how we're supposed to live in this world, then we are accomplishing what God has called us to do. And that's, again, some of the cool things that we get to do. Because right now, as, as we're working with all these churches, we're realizing that it's not just our group of churches that is going to make an impact in New England and the Northeast, but, but it's all the churches that are communicating the good news of who Jesus is. I had the privilege this past Monday of meeting with six other Um, denominational leaders over in Cheshire. I have a little office at a place called Elam Park Retirement Center over there. Uh, Converge actually started that many, many years ago as a retirement center for missionaries and pastors. And there was a a guy there from the Assemblies of God, and a guy there from the Evangelical Free Church, and a guy there from the Covenant Church, and a guy there from the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, and a guy there from the Southern Baptist Church, and a guy there from the Conservative Baptist Church and me. And we talked about what God is doing across our region. We talked about some of the distinctives, you know, that makes us a little bit different from each other, but we realized that that what unites us is much more important than what distinguishes us. And what unites us is really who unites us. It's Jesus, because we all believe that he's God, that he came in the flesh to pay the penalty for our sin, that we're only saved by God's grace through faith in him. And and so we're talking about how can we get our pastors to encourage each other in towns where, where we each have different congregations, and how can we learn from each other, and how can we plant some new churches where there aren't places that, that have a gospel witness, and, and how can we just, just learn more to exalt the name of Jesus Christ and, and realize that, that his name is the name above all names. And, and while people are going to forget ours and forget the names of our churches and and all of the stuff that we think is so important now really isn't going to be important in eternity. Jesus is going to still be the one and only King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's, that's part of what God is doing in the Northeast right now. That's part of what God wants to do in each of our lives, and yet that doesn't happen without commitment from leaders and from churches and from our opportunity to be able to know each other and grow together. And that's why I want you to go back to the very first part of Titus, because Paul says this. He says, he ended up being a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
For the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Paul said, you know, the reason I do what I do is because I believe that, that God has chosen people, and, and I get the opportunity to find out who they are as I proclaim the gospel. People who say, I want to believe, I want to follow, are the ones that, that we know God has chosen because God is eternal, and God knows the end from the beginning of time. God doesn't even enter into time as far as, as his eternality. That's why we understand that, that his ways are greater and deeper and, and wilder beyond what we can even imagine. But Paul said, you know, I get the opportunity to evangelism because as I gather together with Christians who really want to continue to know and follow Jesus, he says, we just cling to the hope of eternal life that comes from God, who does not lie, who promised before the beginning of time, because he says, everything in my life comes back to this calling from God, to share the truth of Christ, to continue to encourage Christians, to make sure that churches and leaders are doing the right things that God has called them to do. And I think if Paul was going to write a job description for himself, that's probably what it would be. He'd say, I'm about evangelism, I'm about edification, I'm about encouragement, I'm about making sure that there are godly people in good churches who are teaching God's word, who are making sure that we know how to live our lives so other people will follow Jesus. And as I've told you a little bit about who we are and what we do, I want you to think about who you are and what you do. I want you to think about the neighborhood you live in, the people around you that don't know Jesus yet. I want you to think about the families that you may be close to or maybe not so close to that have people that don't know Jesus yet. I want you to think about the places you work and the people all around you that you know don't know Jesus yet. And ask yourself today, as his follower, as, as somebody that's made a commitment of faith in him, how might God want to use you in somebody else's life as a godly leader who knows God's word and who's ready to live out your faith in him. Because until we come to grips with that as individuals, it's not just your pastor's responsibility to be a good and godly guy. Until we come to grips with that as individuals, it's not just leaders of organizations or other churches that are bigger than ours or different parts of the state. It's it's what God's telling us today of how we need to know him and follow him and love him and serve him. And so as I tell you who Paul was and who Titus was and who Brent is and who Lori is, the question is, who really are you? Interesting article that actually Lori found a while ago. It's called Missing Woman Unwittingly Joins Search Party Looking for Herself. How about that? Missing woman unwittingly joined search party looking for herself. This is from Iceland, so it's far away from here, but it says a group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's Elja Canyon only to find her among the search party. Listen, it says the group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus. It stopped near the volcanic canyon in the southern highlands Saturday afternoon, reports the Icelandic news organization. And one of the women on the bus left to change her clothes and to freshen up. When she came back, her busmates didn't recognize her. And soon, there was word of a missing passenger, and the woman didn't recognize the description of herself, and she joined the search. 
And about 50 people searched the terrain by vehicles on foot. The Coast Guard was even readying a helicopter to help. And the search was called off about 3 a.m. when it became clear that the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. Isn't that great? All of a sudden, somewhere in the process, she realized, wait a minute, I'm looking for me. I'm looking for, I'm the one who is missing, but I'm not missing, I'm here. I, I found, I've been here all the time. And, and you know what? Sometimes I think God wants to do that in our lives spiritually. I mean, we've lived life, we've experienced good things, but, but he wants us to find ourselves again in Jesus. He wants us to realize that we're here for a purpose, we're here for a reason. And, and as God has called you to follow Jesus, as God has called you to be part of this church, it's my prayer that God will use you in some amazing ways to introduce hundreds more people to Jesus, because that's what God's called us all to do. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, think about that as we close. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, the most important thing I want you to hear today is, is if you, you didn't catch it or you've never really understood it, is, is that good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. I mean, the Bible says God loved us so much he came from heaven in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for our sin. He gives us all the opportunity to have the free gift of eternal life just by trusting him. And just like you're trusting that pew to hold you up today or your car to start when you go out in the parking lot or, or somebody to, to give you lunch on Mother's Day, I mean, God wants us to trust Jesus as the one who gives us eternal life. Has there been a time where you've done that? Has there been a time where you've made that commitment? Has there been a time where you've asked him to do that? And if you haven't, why not do it today? Just in the quietness of your heart and your mind with your eyes closed and your head bowed, just make sure that you're trusting Jesus as the one who gives you eternal life. and Tell God that you've understood that today. And as we have, let's just kind of roll through those relationships again. I mean, maybe God's put somebody in our minds today that, that doesn't know Jesus yet. And we're thinking, you know what? I need, I need to keep that relationship alive. I, I need to be kind. I need to be uh, a person who cares. I need to be someone who is involved in their life by serving them and just showing the love of Jesus. And then, Lord, as they start to ask questions or whenever I know you've opened the door, help me to tell them who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. Would you make that commitment in your mind today? And, Father, I just pray that, that as those people are kind of rolling through our minds and, and as we'll be facing some of them later today or throughout this week, that we would know that it's you that opens the door for conversations. It's you that continues to develop and deepen relationships with people. And, and it's you that give us the opportunity not just to know what other Christians do, but for us to be the kind of people who are so dedicated to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that other people can't help but know him and follow him. I pray your blessing on everybody that's here today. I thank you for this opportunity to, to share your word with them. I pray your blessing on Pastor Jared and and all the leaders here at this church. And I pray, Father, that again, you will use this group of people in incredible ways to introduce Jesus to hundreds of people. For it's in his name we pray. And if you're in agreement with that, would you say amen with me? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Okay. Yeah. The new guy.